0: So, our Bible reading today is John 20, 19 to 29. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said that, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, "'Peace be with you. "'As the Father has sent me, I am sending you.' "'And with that he breathed on them and said, "'Receive the Holy Spirit. "'If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. "'If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven.' "'Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, "'was not with the disciples when Jesus came.' Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believing. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed.
1: A Christian man, a man of very strong faith, was out walking his brand new dog on the beach one day. He, uh, he was a man of very staunch belief, and he wanted the whole world to know Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour. And so his new dog had a miraculous power that he hoped he could use to tell other people about Jesus. His new dog had this miraculous ability just like his Saviour, Jesus. He was walking out along the beach, walking his new dog, went up ahead, he spied a mate of his, an old friend of his, but his old friend was was not a believer. He was a very cynical, hard-bitten kind of an atheist kind of a fellow. You might call him a bit of a doubting Thomas. Whenever he used to uh, come up and try to tell his mate about Jesus, he would always get a whole lot of pushback and negativity, and he thought, aha, this is my great chance he called it out to his man, hey, buddy, come and have a look at this. Come and check out my new dog. He said, listen, I know you're a bit of a doubting Thomas when it comes to matters of faith, but I want to give you some proof that what the Bible says is true. Watch this. He picked up a bit of driftwood, threw it out into the waves as far as he could, and like a flash, his dog shot out over the top of the waves, walking on the water, went out, picked up the driftwood, and ran back and dropped it at his feet. The believing Christian said, ta-da, what do you think? His mate still was a bit cynical. He said, I can see you're still a bit of a doubting Thomas. Well, watch again. He picked up the stick and threw it as far as he could. Again, the dog shot off over the waves, barely getting its paws even wet, came back and dropped it at the man's feet. He goes, well, what do you think? The cynical old heart-bitten atheist doubting Thomas said, your new dog can't even swim, can he? We all know him as a doubting Thomas. Poor old Thomas has become the flag bearer for people who just refuse to believe. He's become an emblem of someone that is just not willing to sort of to let go and, and, and to throw themselves upon and trust their lives in, into God's care. But I reckon poor old Thomas uh, has every right to be a little bit cheesed off, to be a, a little feel a little bit ripped off by the way that the church has treated him, because. I think if we have a look at this story and if we unpack it this morning, we will see that, uh, that Thomas actually isn't any worse than any of his other fellow disciples. And in fact, he may even be a little bit more trusting than some of his other fellow disciples. So as we get into this story today, I want us to uh, have a look at this story afresh because I know that it's a story that many of us are familiar with Of course, we have all heard of this fellow doubting Thomas. And I think it's unfortunate, not just for Thomas himself to be labelled with this, this label, but I think it's unfortunate for all of us. I think it's unfortunate for you and for I, because we hear this, we hear this name, we, we hear this story, and we think we know it. We go, oh yeah, the story of, the story of doubting Thomas. And we kind of jump to a conclusion that sort of says, well, oh yes, I know the point of this story. We shouldn't be a, a doubting Thomas, and we move on. But I think there's so much more to the story than simply that. The story actually isn't about doubt anyway. It's actually about the risen Christ's ability to come and to meet us, to encounter us, and to provide us with with what we need for faith. So, friends, let's dig into this. Before we do so, friends, let's pray. Loving Lord, thank you for this, uh, this wonderful story of faith. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the risen Christ. Father, we pray that you might help us to see this story afresh this morning, this very familiar passage with fresh eyes. Help us to see a new angle, perhaps. Help us to allow ourselves to be be challenged anew. Loving Lord, we pray that we might see something there that we hadn't seen before. Lord, we pray that my words might be your words this morning. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And the people said, Amen. Amen. It's always important when we're looking at a piece of scripture to have a look at it in context. So can I be encouraging you uh, to bring your Bibles along to church or maybe have them open on your phone, have a look at the the passage perhaps, maybe making some notes. uh, Because if we're not going to be a church that is grounded in Scripture, and we're really wasting our time. So I'm encouraging you to to take notes, to be exploring uh, the Scriptures, to be making sure that what the the person at the front is saying is, is in fact true. But it's also important to unpack the context of any particular passage. Context is always important. You don't look at a chapter of a novel and think you know the whole story. You need to look at that chapter in its broader context. So too it is with Scripture. We don't just take a a, a selection of scripture and rip it out of context. We need to place it in its context within the entire suite of scripture. And this, of course, this story is, is no different. You also need to know that this passage comes from John's gospel. Now, John was writing at a time when there was great persecution happening towards the church. John is the last of the gospels to be written. Uh, John is writing sort of several decades after the events that he's talking about. John, we think, was probably uh, one of the the only disciples who lived to be an old man. He was exiled to the island of of Patmos. And so John is recalling these episodes and 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 putting them, writing them down in in a way that makes sense to the people of his time. That's going to bring hope and encouragement to his community. Now, by this time, several decades after Christ's death and resurrection, the church had been suffering tremendous persecution. A different Roman emperor would come to the come to to power, and and there'd be various waves of persecution happening for the infant church. Not only that, if you happened to be a Christian of, of Jewish background, by this stage, you'd been kicked out of the synagogue as well. So That meant not just like we would think, not being able to come to church. It really meant you were in complete social isolation. Not being a part of your local synagogue meant that your your very life was in danger, your livelihood, people would shun you. So can you see that John here is writing to a, a group of believers that is suffering tremendous persecution, is very fearful, is socially isolated and needed a word of encouragement. They needed a a, a word of hope. They must have been thinking to themselves, wow, I'm I'm actually becoming a bit dubious, a bit doubtful of my decision uh, to follow this this fella called Jesus. It's becoming costly. It's becoming dangerous for me and my family. So John is writing uh, to to, to really encourage them in their faith. So can you see why he would have included this story of of Thomas and, and his doubt I, I, in uh, in the scriptures, Thomas serves as a bit of a, a linchpin. He serves as a bit of a, a, a character that, that really moves from the, those very first believers that actually did get to put their fingers in Jesus' wounds and their, he, their hands in His side to, to people like you and I that don't have that luxury, being able to physically see and and touch and touch Jesus Christ. So that's the that's the context of this story today it's a story about how the risen christ comes and meets each of us in in our point of need so let's get into the story let's have a let's have a look and see what's going going on here as we heard this event takes place just after the crucifixion and indeed the resurrection so jesus has been crucified and where are the disciples at this point they're locked up they're behind locked doors So that's the first thing we need to sort of see. We sometimes think of these early disciples as great, mighty pillars of the faith. Well, again, if you ever look at it in context, you'll see that Mary Magdalene, in the passage just before this one, has already come from having encountered the risen Christ and said, Jesus is alive. And where are these brave men? Locked away. They're locked away, these fellas. They're hiding out because they're fearful of of persecution even at this point. They're all there except for Thomas. Now, even at this point, perhaps this is to Thomas's credit. They're there behind locked doors because they're afraid. They're fearful of persecution. So maybe, we can't be sure, but just maybe, Thomas is actually the only one brave enough to be out in the world. Whatever his reasons, he wasn't there this particular day when the risen Christ appeared behind closed doors behind locked doors and presented himself to the disciples obviously they are overjoyed they're overjoyed Jesus is indeed alive Mary was right the reports of the resurrection are correct they 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 are empowered with the holy spirit we read that Jesus breathes on them there seems to be a bit of a precursor to what we call pentecost that Luke records for us in acts chapter 2 Jesus Breathes his Holy Spirit into them and says, Go, I'm, I'm sending you out to, to forgive sins, to, to overcome sin and, and death in the world. But you see, Thomas isn't there. They report back to Thomas when they eventually catch up with him. Hey, Thomas, you wouldn't believe what's happened. Jesus is alive. But of course, we all know Thomas's famous response. No, I. I refuse to believe it. He says, unless I can actually put my fingers in the nail scars in his hand, put my hand into the wound in his side, I'm, I'm not going to believe it. Now, be honest, friends. I reckon Thomas's response is fair enough, don't you? I actually think if I was in Thomas's position, I reckon my response may have been pretty similar. He's saying to himself, I don't know what these other guys have been smoking, but, but I know death when I see it. I mean, he was there. He saw Jesus crucified. He saw them stab him in the side to make sure that, that he was dead. He knew what he saw, and he knew Jesus was dead. Whatever was happening with these other blokes, Thomas wanted nothing to do with it. By the way, it's, it's the same response to, again, the other disciples Okay, we read that they didn't actually believe the women's reports. Uh, In in the other gospel accounts, we hear the women come from the tomb and report that Jesus is alive. And we're told that, no, they refused to believe the women. So it wasn't just Thomas, by the way, who was doubtful at this point. So again, keep keep that in mind. It wasn't simply Thomas that was a bit dubious, that was a bit doubtful at this point. A week goes past, and again, the disciples are there. And where are they? They're still behind locked doors. Now, bear in mind the context. The risen Christ has appeared to them. He has breathed his Holy Spirit into them. He has sent them on their way. And where are they? Still behind those locked doors. They haven't gone anywhere. And what's more, they haven't even managed to convince Thomas. They haven't even managed to convince one of their own. So these disciples, far from being these mighty pillars of faith, they're uh, fairly ragtag, fairly, uh, you must, you've got to admit, that the, the future of the gospel is in pretty shaky hands at this point, isn't it? Pretty shaky hands indeed. But Thomas, at this point, happens to be present this time around. And again, Jesus appears. The risen Christ appears to the disciples. And I want you to take note of his response to Thomas at this point. Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas for his doubt. He doesn't chip him about his lack of faith. Jesus is compassionate. He comes to Thomas and says, here I am, Thomas. Here's my hand. Here's my side. Jesus gives Thomas what he needs. He blesses him with what he needs to believe. And then in one of the most powerful, one of the most heartfelt, one of the most honest declarations of faith in all of Scripture. Thomas declares, "My Lord and my God." It's powerful stuff. It's a powerful story. The scene closes with with Jesus saying to to Thomas and to the disciples, "You know what, Thomas? You know, you've got to, to see me. You've got to as physically see and and to touch me." He said, "But blessed are those who follow who." who aren't going to have this opportunity. It's a little line for you and for me, friends, isn't it? So that's a word for us here today at Church in the Marketplace in the 21st century. Blessed are those who, although they can't physically see and touch, yet nevertheless believe. So what are we going to make of this story? What are some takeaways? How do we apply it in our lives this week? Firstly, our first takeaway point I want us to know is that it's okay to doubt. It's okay to have some doubts. Some of us are blessed with a faith that comes very easily. For some others of us, faith is a little bit more difficult. For some of us, we question a little bit more. We question a little bit more stridently. And it doesn't always come easily for us. I want us us to know this morning that that it's okay to question. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to want to push back. It's okay to want to I- investigate. In fact, I want to let you know that when you think about it, you actually need to have a, a, a few questions. Is faith even really possible without a few doubts? I mean, if you, it, if you could prove the existence of Jesus' resurrection beyond all doubt, it wouldn't really be faith at that point, would it? The book of Jude, in chapter 1, verse 22, says, Be merciful to those who doubt. So for those of us for whom faith comes easily, we're called to be merciful, to be patient with those amongst us who who question, who struggle, who wrestle, who doubt. Dr. Bill Self is a well-known Baptist minister. He says, I must admit that there is a place in the Christian life for honest doubt. For doubt is always the prelude to faith. Doubt is always the prelude to faith. Whenever we think of the great men and women of the faith, doubt has been there from the word go. From Jeremiah to Mother Teresa, many of the great pillars of the Christian church have struggled with doubt. It's okay to doubt, it's okay to keep on asking. It's okay to to want to think things through. And I also want to encourage us to know, however, that you're never going to have all the answers. Even those of us for whom faith comes easily, know that you're never going to have all the answers. So don't wait until you've got all the boxes checked. Don't wait until you've got all your ducks in a row before you come to Christ, before you come to church. Know that you're never going to have all the answers this side of eternity, this side of heaven. It's okay. And really, again, when you think about it, do you really want to worship a God that you understand completely? If this God was a God that I could comprehend, I don't think I want to worship Him because He wouldn't be a God worth worshipping. I'm very glad that God is beyond our ability to understand, that He is far beyond our ability to understand. To get our heads around his greatness and his majesty and indeed his mystery. I want to share with you a little bit of a story in a previous life. Before I was called to ministry, I had a, a series of what you might call dodgy sales jobs. <laughs> and I'm not talking about just at Meyer or Grace Brothers. Anyone remember Grace Brothers? I used to work at Grace Brothers, but before that and after that, I worked with a couple of fairly high-pressure sales jobs. We're talking really high-pressure, pretty serious to the point of manipulation sales environments. We were always taught to value questions. I remember as a young fellow, as a salesman, you sort of get, people are, customers, potential customers, they're asking all these questions, and you think, oh, they're not interested, they're pushing back. My salesman just said No should always welcome questions. Because the only people who ask questions are the people who want to know more. When they stop asking questions, that's when you know you've lost them. So It's okay to be asking questions. It's okay to push back. Come and ask me a question anytime. I'm not going to tell you I have all the answers that I don't. What I can tell you I promise to go away and do some research and get back to you with the, with the best scholarly debate that I can. So please come to me with your questions. I'd love to hear your questions. I love talking theology. God talk, theos and logos. God talk, God words. Come and chat to me if you have any questions about anything. I'd love to know what they are. I promise you I won't be offended. I'm pretty hard to offend. Come to me with your questions. Come to me with your concerns and with your doubts. I would would love to hear them. So firstly, know that that doubt is is okay, but it's got to be a sincere doubt. Can I just put this one little writer? It's got to be a sincere seeking of of more information. You see, sometimes I think we can use doubt as an excuse. Quite often I see people throwing it up as a barrier, as an excuse to bail out on church and to bail out on faith. Honest, genuine doubt that seeks to want to know more to Be welcomed and to embrace. Secondly, I want you to know that Thomas's story is every single one of our stories. We're all, we're all Thomas's at some point. We're all going to be in Thomas's position at some point. Again, we're looking at John's version today, but if you go and have a look, if you want to play along at home later on today, go and have a look at Matthew's account of the resurrection. Check this out. In Matthew's account of the resurrection, the risen christ appears to the disciples and matthew says he's standing there in front of them but some still doubt it even though the risen christ was with them in their presence still some were doubting these men were not instantly changed into world beaters it took time it took time for the holy spirit to to work through them for them to be transformed so know that thomas's experience is really is really each of our experiences. So, so take heart. I want, you to, I want you to ask yourself, what evidence do you need? What do you need this morning to truly believe? I mean, what are you going to allow to stop you from believing in, in Christ is a question that I have for you today. I love a story told by a, a Catholic uh, priest by the name of Henry Nouwen. Is anyone familiar with Henry Nouwen's work? A wonderful writer, a, a wonderful author, Henry Nouwen was a Dutch Catholic priest and an author, a scholar, and he became friends with an acrobatic troupe called the Flying Rodleys. Isn't that a wonderful name for a trapeze act? The Flying Rodleys. They actually welcomed Henry Nouwen into their presence and would actually welcome him into some of their training sessions. One time Henry Nouwen was chatting to the leader of the Flying Rodleys and he asked about how he feels flying through the air, and the trust that it takes at that point in time, the acrobat replied, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I'm the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision to grab me out of the air. I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me. This is my favorite part. Listen to this. The worst thing a flyer can do, he said, is to try to catch the catcher. A flyer must fly. A catcher must catch. And the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. Friends, don't we like that fly, have to simply stretch out and trust God. Through all of life's tumblings and twists and turns, we often can't see where we are going. We don't know where we are headed. But I think we have trust in a catcher who is there for us, who promises to look out for us. It doesn't mean that things are never going to go wrong. But he knows what we need, and as this story shows, he will, he will provide them for us. And think, too, of all the other ways, all the other people that you put your trust in every day. Think about the trust you put in a pilot every time you step on a plane. One day I'm hoping to get back on planes. Think about the faith that you put in that man or that woman up in the cockpit of that 787 that you're going to get on. You're trusting your life in their hands, aren't you? You're trusting that he or she's been well-trained, you're, you're trusting, you're putting your faith in the ground crew, in the maintenance crew, that they've done their job correctly. Friends, you, you put your, your faith in society every time you step outside your front door. Every time you get out on the roads, you're trusting other people to do the right thing, aren't you? So ask yourself, what really am I going to allow to stop me from putting my faith in the risen Christ? I want to challenge you this morning to also see another little point of this, another little aspect of this story that you might not have seen. And that is the fact that it's important to stay in community. It's important to stay in community. Thomas missed encountering the risen Christ that first time because he wasn't with his brothers in Christ. He was away from the gathered community. Friends, it is so important to stick together. Church in the Marketplace, we are a ragtag bunch of diverse people with different experiences from different backgrounds, much like those first disciples. I say to people when they ask me, how's, how's the new placement going? But how's Church in the Marketplace? I tell them, it's going great. The only thing holding us together is our love in Jesus, amen? <laughs> the disciples were the same. And had a tax collector and a zealot. You had fish me. The only thing holding them together was their faith in Jesus. They needed to hang together in church. We need to hang together. Amen. You're going to hear me say a lot over the years that following Jesus is not a solo sport. It's not a spectator sport. And it's not a solo sport. Friend, you can't do it on your own. You need the fellowship around you. You need your brothers in Christ around you. I hear all sorts of excuses about why people can't make it to church. I have to say, in 90% of cases, they're just making up an excuse. It doesn't have to be with us here at church in the marketplace. I know we have people watching online. We'd love you to gather with us in person when you can, but please go with our blessing and join another fellowship if that's where you feel called to, to serve and to love. Doesn't care, I don't care where you gather. I don't care what size church it is, what sort of building they gather, in. you've got to be fellowshipping together. You're going to hear preachers talk all the time of a hot coal. You know this hot coal analogy? Hang around churches long enough, you'll hear the hot coal analogy. A hot coal, when you remove it from the fire, it very quickly gets cold and dies, doesn't it? It's only when it's with its other hot coals that it maintains the fire, that it maintains the rage. We are the same. We need to be fellowshipping with one another in order to make sure that our our faith doesn't go lukewarm and die. A little postscript of this story too that I want to share with you as we finish up, as we close. Uh, You might know of the story of Thomas, what what happened from from here. Well, most of the disciples, as far as we can tell, were, were actually martyred for their faith. They were killed for their faith. And we believe Thomas was among them, but that it happened all the way in India. I've actually been to the church in India, in in, uh, in Chennai, where they believe that Thomas actually planted and, and started that church. Such was the faith of this man, according to tradition, as far as we know, and we've got no reason to doubt it, is that Thomas actually took the gospel to India. We know the gospel was in India very, very early on. Disciples of Jesus Christ. Such as Thomas took the gospel as far away as India. Such was their passion. Such was uh, his commitment to the risen Christ. Didn't happen automatically, didn't happen overnight, but eventually they knew that they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. These men ended up changing the world. I'm going to leave you with a little quote by Bishop uh, Will Williman. Will Williman is a wonderful preacher, a U.S. preacher a Methodist preacher, uh, I think he was actually principal of Duke uh, University in the US. He tells of visiting a man in hospital with only a couple of days left to live. He asked the man whether or not he was fearful. To Williman's surprise, the man replied, fear? No, I'm I'm not fearful because of my faith in Jesus. The man continued explaining, look, I've looked back over my life, all the mistakes I've made, all the times I've turned away from Jesus, Gone my own way, strayed, gotten lost. And time and time again, he found a way to get to me. Looked for me when I wasn't looking for him. I don't think he will let something like my dying (laughs) defeat his love for me. Friends, know that Jesus isn't going to abandon you. All you've got to do is reach out your arms and trust him. We don't know where this life might take us and quite often we'll feel like we'll be spinning out of control. The only way to fall through Jesus' strong hand is to turn your back on him. So can I encourage you this week to let your faith grow alongside your doubts, to keep on questioning, keep on prodding, keep on asking. When your faith is faltering and you feel a little bit dejected, take time out. And ask Jesus to reveal himself to you in a fresh way. Think of all the wondrous ways that God has brought you this far and say with conviction, I have what I, all that I have seen so far teaches me to trust God for all that I have not seen. And you might be surprised who might make himself known to you despite all of the locked doors in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we we come before you this morning and we again cry out to you. We again reach out to you afresh with outstretched arms. We confess to you that we don't know what this life holds for us. We don't know what is around the corner. But Father, we do trust in you. Provide for us what we need in order to believe. To take that next step. Father, reveal yourself to us. Help us how, show us how we can Trust in you just that little bit more this week. Empower us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Help us to know, Heavenly Father, that faith is like a muscle. The more we use it, the stronger it will become. May we become stronger this coming week as we go in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.